right, here we are back with uh, Root Solutions, learning how to control the basics. This is Kyron. And this is Noah. And we are going to talk about biological pain. Yeah. We're, uh, we're back after, after a long, I guess, couple of days apart. <laughs> yeah. Kai and I are finally so gearing up and getting some momentum here and figuring out how to uh, do more than one podcast a week. We, I don't know if we'll release it that way, but it's nice to see you again, Kai. Yeah. Um, this time in person. So last the last few weeks we've been talking about um, kind of pain and the way pain functions. Today we want to go into a little bit more depth about biological pain and get into like physiology and things like that. Before we do that, I we always like to check in. Kai, I know had a pretty cool little event he went to this <laughs> week. Um, so to preface this really quick, <laughs> Kai and I have been talking a lot about like water quality. Uh, we had watched Down to Earth with Zach Efron. Oh yeah, um, and I think it's the second episode. Maybe the third, but yeah, he. I think it's the third. They're talking about water quality in European countries, and they're talking about water specifically in France. I'll tell you um, after that watching an episode, I went out and bought um, a machine that takes fluoride out of my water. After researching like how really just kind of messed up the water really is. Yeah. Um, but there specifically was this guy on there. He's a som- water, water som- sommelier. sommelier. There we go. Um, <laughs> and so, and he's local. So Kai actually went to one of his courses. Um, and so I'm all kinds of curious, Kai. <laughs> I haven't heard anything about this guy, so I'm asking questions firsthand just like you are. Yeah. Tell me all about it. So... It wasn't in person. It was a. It was oh, a nothing's um, in person anymore, right? Yeah, we were social distance on a webinar, and but it was it was interesting. It was, um, you know, going into it, I was thinking I was going to learn a lot of fun water chemistry and how it affects the body and things like that. But it's a water sommelier course, so it's all about pairing it with foods and. Um, and kind of pairing it with wine, so it was really cool. Um, Wait, pairing water with wine? With wine, yeah. Interesting. Very interesting, right? So, just to dive into that, he talks about like if you drink purified water, um, and you have a drink of wine, and then you drink purified water, it basically takes all the taste out of the wine that you just had on your tongue or on your palate. So it's kind of okay. like, why would you pay for like a hundred dollar bottle of wine? And drink it and then wipe it all out with purified water. So he talks about getting a better water that then kind of would accentuate the taste in your mouth or at least leave it in your mouth. I mean, it makes sense, right? One of the main, I think one of the main components of wine is going to be like the mineral content and whatnot, right? Uh, In water, yeah. Well, no, in wine though too, oh, right? Oh, okay. Like the acidity of soil, things like that are yeah, going to affect oh, yeah, the way yeah, wine yeah. tastes, right? Yeah. So it makes sense that if you take a water that's just stripped of all of its nutrients, it's going to give you like a really like flat flavor profile. Exactly. Yeah. So I could see where like if you paired minerals with the water to the wine, mm-hmm. where it could be like a like a solvent to actually help bring it out. Right? That exactly. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So our chemistry brain goes wild with that. But yeah. They, they kind of just explained it as um, you don't want to just take out the, the taste that you just put in your mouth. Right. You don't want to just like wipe that out. Right. So... Um, but they did talk about like different pairings with food as well, right? Uh, and the mineral content in the water, and how it can accentuate food or make it, you know, con- uh, compare and contrast. So like the biggest one was like uh, uh, water that has more carbonation and more mineral content. You pair that with foods that are more rich. So okay, like pork, 
poultry steak like a, a rack of lamb for example is super rich yeah so you cut the richness with the mineral water because of the carbonation and, and the way that it's a little bit more acidic interesting so if you if you watch the the the, the show itself um when you listen to Somalia talk mm-hmm. um he i never really thought about like water in terms of like spring water versus mineral water versus oh, yeah. um and i also never really thought about like the profile flavor and mm-hmm. so when he had started talking about it in the show it kind of blew my mind yeah because i didn't really like when i had heard like carbonated water that wasn't like just like shitty tap soda water <laughs> right um i didn't really think about carbonated water bringing out flavor profiles yeah. and that kind of blew my mind so the idea of uh like pairing water with food and wine is such an interesting like thought process yeah i mean i'm a big nerd so i right. just kind of dove into it and the biggest thing that made me do it was in that episode he talked about how purified water is really bad for you right because water itself like structurally is trying to absorb minerals right so when rain rain water rain water rain water goes down and it comes out to the um the mountain and it streams down and goes into the spring on its way to the spring it's collecting nutrients it's collecting calcium magnesium potassium all those good uh, minerals that we have in our water but if it's purified there's nothing in there Right. So then that water is seeking all those minerals. So if you're drinking purified water all the time, then that water is going to start to pull from your body. It depletes you. It depletes you. Right. Which That was something that kind of blew my mind. And the idea that like, so the, I got a bulky uh, water, I think it's an iodiner, iodine. Ionizer, 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 ionizer. Whatever that word is. Um, but I, th- so what it does is it removes um fluoride specifically from it but one of the things that that we had learned or i had learned about fluoride which i didn't know and i guess i was late to the party on this one is like the the fog that fluoride can actually put you in in terms of like your your brain and thought process so i just made like a grand swoop around my house right like i changed my toothpaste i got a um purifier for my shower water i got a purifier for my drinking water i got um i evaluated the soap I was using and shampoo I was using. And um, it kind of led me down this real interesting slippery slope of just everything that is yeah. like natural and kind of realizing that a lot of the stuff that you're exposing the exterior to your body to mm-hmm. can also do the same stuff. Yeah. You know, and I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, fluoride, my, my parents didn't want me to get fluoride from the dentist. Right. And, you know, that was... I don't even know how long ago, but um, even then, my parents were like super aware that fluoride is not good for not us. good for you, right? Yeah. And the other thing I thought was that was kind of interesting by all this stuff is that like when you start hearing about natural spring waters and stuff like that in comparison to like city water, a lot of the city water here locally has to be treated with a lot of the stuff because the water is just so dirty, right? Like yeah. fluoride has to be put in the water because the water is just absolutely disgusting. Um, those of you that are a little bit older remember maybe like 10 years ago or so or like uh, in Detroit there was a big hubbub about mm, the water where the water yeah. was like literally coming out of fossils black, right? Yeah. People were paying for black water. Um, and that to me is just mind-blowing. So when I think about what's going on with water in terms of America and water in terms of what we drink, um, classes like this stand out to me big time. And like here they yeah. took it, it was pretty cool. Yeah, there's, I mean, not only was there that, the 
information about water and, and the, the taste, the mouthfeel, and pairings and things like that. But I got to see some pretty cool water, I mm -hmm. guess. And um, there's, I just went out to Whole Foods and got a bunch of water. I'm gonna do a wine taste or water tasting with my family. Nice. But um, there is a water. It's called Starkey. You can get it at Whole Foods. Yeah. It's eleven thousand years old. That's crazy. So like when you think about water, you're like it, there's no age to it, right. right? But it's been underground for so long, and then there's a basalt layer in Idaho that started to fissure and, and move apart, and then water started to come up became a spring but how long has it been under the ground right, right. 11,000 years that's crazy which is insane but there's also um, a, a wine in Sweden called Svavardi uh -huh. it's spelled super weird in Swedish of course it's $150 a bottle okay but the reason why it's so expensive is to protect the environment around the water spring so so they don't want to produce it exactly so it kind of makes more sense um, to keep that high quality High quality H two O. High quality H two O. So bring it back to Water Boy. Uh, <laughs> apparently, Adam Sandler was onto something and knows all about water. Uh, it, those of you that don't know, in the movie Water Boy, Adam Sandler's whole premise is that like water is special and to not disrespect water. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I totally get it. Yeah. Now totally it makes perfect it, sense. Um, well, to bring that into today's topic. Um, one of the things that also stands out to me is that like having depleted resources from water can also contribute to biological pain. Oh yeah. And so part of the reason I thought this was really interesting from a, a show perspective is that, you know, talking about biological pain today, it's a very complex idea. There's a lot to it. Now, yeah. when we say biological pain, um, I want you guys to understand what that means. We've talked about social, we've talked about psychological, and we've talked about this like idea of you know, playing with the kids' Play-Doh and mixing it all together. Biological pain is the one we haven't talked about yet. We, we saved it for last on purpose because this is going to kind of gear up some other shows that we're going to talk about. But the idea of biological pain is like it's the actual physical pain stimulator, right? It's, it's, it's pain in a specific area mm -hmm. because we have an issue in that area, right? So it's a feedback loop of make change here. Mm -hmm. So a good example would be like I have a, a – my left shoulder is a little bit angry with me right now. Um I jumped into a workout with one of my patients. I didn't really warm up, nor was I on the same program that she was on. It was very upper body centric. And um, unfortunately, my left shoulder said, F you, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. Um, which I'll further explain later. But for me, you know, that, that tells me that I've got to make change, right? So I have to evaluate my shoulder. I do controlled articulate rotations, which are cars, it's an FRC thing. Um, and I do pales rails and I, I look to move the joint itself. I look to actually like try to expand ranges, um, because I understand these things, right? I understand like what happens when you have pain, the nervous system is going to shut down the area, which is going to cause problems in that area itself. And it's yeah. going to be a feedback loops. So, um, an example, another example of this would be like recently I had my brother-in-law actually came in he was riding a skateboard and he fell while he had a backpack on. His backpack was loaded up pretty heavy. And he walks in, shows me his shoulder. We go and we check it. He has very little external rotation, almost none. He has all of the internal rotation I could possibly want, which means if we were to lay on a table and I were to try to bend his arm back at a 90 degree angle, it didn't go anywhere. So I'm looking for his hand to get behind his ear, um, at least 15 degrees, I think, for a normal person. His internal rotation, so from the same position, lying on his back, arm at 90 degrees, brought his hand down and forward towards like where his waist would be. 
Um, he was able to bring it all the way down, no problem. Mm. So what this tells me from a practitioner perspective is that we have an issue with external rotation, yeah. right? Um, he got pain feedback in internal rotation though. Mm. Okay. Now we have two sides of the angle. We have open angle and closed angle pain. This is really hard to describe here in front of without like Verbally. visually showing <laughs> this to you. But the idea with open angle pain is if I'm laying him on the table and I go to pull his arm back behind him, the pain would be on the front side of the body, right? Which tells us that we have a stretch issue in the tissue. Yeah. Okay. Close angle pain is a little bit more problematic. Close angle pain usually means that we have aberrant tissue or tissue that has actual physical damage. That's a little bit more complicated. So in his case, he had open angle pain. So I went to go pull his shoulder back behind him and he had pain in his pec area. Now, for me as a practitioner, open angle pain tends to be very easy to fix. It just tells us that we have a neurological issue, that the brain is just guarding the area, and that we just have to slowly ask for forgiveness. And then once we get forgiveness, we should get the full range of motion back. Pain receptors should go down or go away. And then as long as he keeps moving it, he should be good, right? Yeah. So in his case, I, I think it was 12 minutes in total of work. And he was completely out of pain with complete function. His was a very easy situation, right? He fell, his body said, yo, don't move your shoulder, that hurt. Mm -hmm. Easy, right? It's not always that simple, and we're gonna talk about the ways that's more can be more or less complicated. So in terms of pain, that's kind of a way to, to give you some feedback of it. The way I describe it quite simply is, it's load exceeding capacity, okay? So what that means is that if my shoulder can only rotate at 15 degrees externally, but I fell and something pulled it to 30 degrees externally, then I've exceeded my capacity, like my ability to go where I need to go. Mm -hmm. And the tissue now says, F you, I'm out. I don't wanna do this anymore. Mm -hmm. Now we have pain. Now, that can, be, that can be a couple of things, right? We can actually have a physical tear, yeah. right? So a physical tear would indicate that like, there's a chance you need surgery, you may have to rest, we're gonna have to do some different things, right? That's like a physical tear. From a pain perspective, that's a really easy thing to understand, and it's just patience. Yeah. It also can mean that, that we just have, again, a stretch issue in the tissue, and we have to get the tissue to go back to where it was and create stiffness, which is interesting talking to Brad last week, because yeah. Brad talked a ton about <laughs> stiffness in tissue, right? Oh, and yeah. so, ironically, one of the ways we do that is with iso isometrics, and we'll go into that a little bit later, too. So, I want to go back to the idea of passive versus active range of motion, okay? So we've, we have that end range control that can be problematic, right? So the thing to keep in mind is there's a gap between acid, active and passive, mm -hmm. right? So if I actively can control, now stay with me people, pulling my arm into 15 degrees of external rotation, that doesn't mean that's where it stops. Because if I, as a practitioner, go and grab the arm and safely move it further, it can go further. Yeah. That's called passive range of motion. Best way I can describe it to people, imagine somebody doing the splits, okay? Most people doing the splits need to use the floor, right? So they go to the floor, they slide their feet out slowly, they use gravity to help create resistance and then continue to go until they're in the splits. Now that doesn't mean they can control that range. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean they're safe there. It just means that they can do it slowly. But if someone were to take them and yank them into that position, we might have a real serious problem. Yeah. Now, conversely, we've all seen those guys on YouTube, or better yet, like you guys remember, if you guys remember John Claude Van Damme mm. from like Bloodsport, 
where like he would do like a standing kick and like kick over your head, right? Um, all like covered in baby oil and like in like a <laughs> diaper. Uh, that's for when I was like 13, guys. Um, but the idea is those people that are strong enough to kick a water bottle off the top of your head without swinging their leg. So they're able to pick their leg up, extend their leg out, and then kick that water ball off your head. That's active control. Yeah. So what that means is that if somebody tries to yank them into the splits, they're cool because mm-hmm. they can control that space. So I think for our listeners out there, what I hope that you can get out of this is that active control indicates safety. I'm strong there. I can control that space. I am not vulnerable to somebody yanking me into those positions. Um, So in my brother-in-law's case, going full circle, my brother-in-law couldn't extend his shoulder past 15 degrees on his own. So when the backpack yanked him into further, his tendons, his muscles, his... The joint itself, all of it said, no, stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's where the pain feedback comes from. Yeah. Now, there's another piece of this, right? And there's loading from – well, there's two loading patterns, right? There's load yeah. from contact and load from compensation. Yeah. So, Kai, I know you have a story regarding loading from contact. So, this is like a car accident type deal. Kai had an ankle injury, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I was playing basketball. We were doing a, a drill, and I was trying to go as fast as I could to the – to the hoop <laughs> to, the, to the hole to the hole and my friend decided to jump right in front of me and so take I that took, charge take that charge well no he was trying to steal the ball <laughs> uh but he took a step he put his foot down first and then my foot went and we're going at a very fast pace sure and my foot lands on his foot right and so then it just twisted my ankle and ever so much i'm sure ever so much so if you think about a car accident and you're going 70 miles per hour and somebody else comes out of the street light and comes and blocks you off you're gonna be going one way their car that's gonna go right. the other way so my ankle went the wrong way sure uh his foot was fine of course his, his foot was on the floor so you know there was nowhere for it to go But yeah, so I had a um, hairline fracture on my fibula, had to wear a cast for so long, and uh, you know, I was in high school, and I was going from one end of the school to the other in crutches. On crutches, which is the worst. Yeah, so, you know, some psychological pain there, too. Sure. Uh, (laughs) It's got all kinds of triggers. Oh, man. It's bringing me back. It's funny you say it. So, Kai, I had something that similar happen. Um, uh, my knee injury at the end of my baseball career was similar. Mm. I was a catcher. I was at the plate uh, fielding a ball throw in from the outfield. Uh, I was reaching to my right of my body, so I was very exposed. I had a guy dive in. And it was a clean play. The guy was diving, trying to get to the plate, and his shoulder hit my knee, and mm. I ended up tearing my ACL. Yeah. So, guys, this is a, these are contact injuries, right? These are yeah. similar to regular people having car accidents, right? Yeah. So, Kai, how can we protect ourselves? Like, how could you and I have avoided those in the future? Yeah, so basically, um, kind of going along with our last podcast, we use isometrics. So, being strong in those positions. Right. So, um, you know, and it goes along with um, what Noah does is FRC. <clears throat> we want to control ranges in when we're, where we are vulnerable. So, right. like your brother-in-law, he was vulnerable in that external rotation of his shoulder. Right. He didn't want to be there. If somebody were to just give him a hard high five, it probably would have yeah. sent him home crying. Right. So 
what we do is we try to uh, increase our our range, our active range, not our passive range, because our passive range is going to be vulnerability. Right. I take it as Brad said, right? Stiffness. In stiffness, that area, right? exactly. Yeah, and so the isometrics are going to um, send signals to the brain that I am okay. Right. I can control this position and hold that position. Now, for me as an MAT practitioner, for us, we hold isometric positions in six seconds at, at six sets. And well, people somebody just went driving by pretty quick. Yeah, and on a residential street. But anyway, uh, but yeah, so with MAT, um, we want to send good signals to our body that we can be safe. So when we think of isometrics, some people may think I have to go like 110%. Right. But in, in the MAT world, we want to go at least 20%. So it's interesting, in FRC, we use ramping, right? Yeah. So when we're in these isometric positions, we want to be able to control contractions. And yeah. this this is getting kind of nerdy, guys, but the idea is that um, you don't always have to hold 100%. Yeah. So in a lot of cases with isometrics or with these weird positions that we get ourselves into, um, we can maybe control 100, but we can't control 20, yeah. which leaves us vulnerable. Exactly. Conversely, maybe we can only control 20, but we yeah. can't control 100. Yeah. So the way in, we look at it from a perspective of FRC mm-hmm. is we attempt our best to have five ramp-ups in a 20-second span. Mm-hmm. So I would tell people, go 20, go 40, go 60, go 80, and go 100%. Now, they don't say it 100 for very long, but the idea is that you're communicating to the brain mm-hmm. that we need to be able to not only create stiffness, yeah. but control of stiffness. And I know MAT just does it a different way. Yeah, right? yeah, I think it's, and I think that it ties in well with each other because one, you can get into a certain position and have it biomechanically be safe. Right. But then also the, the ramping up, uh, if I can give a visual, it's like if you're playing tug of war with, right. with Noah, who is much larger than me, and I'm pulling and it's his 20%. Right. And then I get two more of my friends who are a little bit stronger, then that's the ramp up. Right. And then I get five more of my friends, that's another ramp up. So right. then Noah went from 20 to 40 to 60 to right. 80, and now I have like 30 of my friends and we still can't move them. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of the ramp up uh, idea so that you kind of control the little tinier muscles and then right. you get into the group of muscles right the whole idea of irradiation and things like that right and i think that's kind of something that's really important for you to to utilize in your lives because yeah. we have to understand that you have your joints have a lot of things that communicate to your brain so if we were to go inside out the capsule itself so the actual joint is gonna have mechanoreceptors inside the capsule. Mm-hmm. So those mechanoreceptors inside the capsule are gonna to communicate to the brain how much range of motion to have, right? Then you have the exterior tissue, right? So we have tendons, we have ligaments, we have the muscle itself, we have all of these things that can continue to communicate with the brain. Yeah. Now we've talked a little bit about nervous system stuff in the past, and this is essentially all neurologically driven stuff, right? Yeah. So our goal here is to one, create better communication of the brain. Yeah. Now to make things a little bit weirder for everybody, nice. we all know that like when we lift weights, muscles get bigger, right? And they get stronger and you know, fiber types change, um, muscles themselves grow in terms of hypertrophy, things happen. 
But what people don't know, sorry, Ruka, my dog, um, when she doesn't get attention, lets out long, loud moans. So if you guys yeah. caught that, sorry, but there'll probably be more because nobody's paying attention to her and she's mad at us. Yeah, it wasn't me, I swear. <laughs> it wasn't God. So, um, so the nerve itself also grows. So what people don't don't really realize is this idea of if I don't use it, I lose it. So nerve density becomes really important as well. So sometimes if I don't externally rotate my shoulder much, and if we think about our lives, most people don't. Like most people aren't reaching behind them or trying to take their hand behind their ear. What'll happen is your body says, okay, well, you don't need that pathway anymore. Yeah. So it says, well, I'm going to divert energy to to pathways you do need more of, right? Mm -hmm. And it's trying to balance out the way it's using energy. The nerve itself will then reduce in size. Our job and our, our goal from Kai and I's perspective is to create thicker, denser nerves that have better communication. So a lot of times people blame muscles being off, which mm-hmm. I personally can't stand because no muscle's ever off, right? If it was yeah. off, we would just fall over. Yeah. Um, is it working at low capacity? Sure. But the muscle itself isn't working at low capacity. It's the neurological drive to the muscle is low quality, meaning that the muscle can't get the feedback that it needs to function correctly, whether it be quickly, whether it be at an intense level or ramping. So the idea for us is we want to try to create better tissue stiffness, better tissue quality. But the only way you can do that is to create better drive to the area yeah last week when kai was, or when uh, brad was on with us i had reference as a power lifter how we use isometrics when we get stuck in lifts so if you think about like a bench press right laying flat on my back taking a barbell bringing it down to my chest pushing it back up there's portions of that lift that i'm better and worse at where i can create more force right and presumably the closer the bar gets to my chest the less force i can produce because the muscles more of a stretch right yeah so neurologically i have a communication issue so the old Soviet models in like the 40s suggested using isometrics in places you're the worst, mm-hmm. which is so weird because we're talking about the same thing <laughs> like 70 years later. But the idea was what we used to do as powerlifters is we would just put the bar where we suck mm-hmm. and then we would push as hard as we could into, into an immovable object mm-hmm. to help our brain understand how to use that tissue. Yeah, I wasn't building a better muscle, right? I wasn't doing like curls in that position like i wasn't trying to get bigger and stronger there i was trying to create better neurological drive yeah and that's what we want to help you guys understand is that you can use these isometrics to create better neuro drive so kai with your ankle mm-hmm. if we could convince your body to give it more range of motion yeah or be stronger in the range of motion we have maybe we didn't do that yeah now there was another piece of this we had talked about kai where we had talked about your injury itself mm-hmm. and getting stronger there what if, like, would you have been better served if you had more range of motion? I believe so. Like controlled range of motion. Controlled, yeah. So, Kai, what would be a way that you could create more range of motion? Isometrics. Isometrics, weird, right? So, uh, so <laughs> pales rails. Pales rails. I right? mean, so um, using the idea from FRC, um, getting into the more vulnerable um, positions. And then working both sides, essentially. So exactly. last week, Brad talked about both sides of the axis. And right. Axis meaning joint. The, the joint. Sure. So if for my ankle, if I were to, you know, 
point my foot down and, and turn it in, that's kind of where my ankle went. Where it was weak, where right? It, where it didn't want to go. Um, but yeah, so if I did that and I pressed one way into something to create the ramp up, right? right. And then after doing that, press, press the other way. way. Right. And just build the the capacity of the muscles around that ankle in, a in all different way. yeah in all different directions and um, in different positions right now we don't personally like stretching a ton like I we would argue that based on what we know about science stretching leads to like longer weaker tissue mm-hmm. right because stretching I think is makes something passively passively long I guess for lack of better words yeah so but in this case we we do like the idea of stretching so here's where this becomes this, an interesting idea. A lot of people come to me and they're like, I do yoga and I love yoga. I don't have anything wrong with yoga from a spiritual perspective, from a motivation perspective, from a communal perspective. There's so many things great about yoga. So this is not me bashing on yoga. But the idea of stretching a bunch to get better and stronger at end ranges doesn't make sense, right? Yeah. Like we know through lots of science that that's not how it works. Mm-hmm. A stretched muscle isn't a strong muscle. Mm-hmm. So when we think about Pale's rails, and we think about Kai's ankle, one of the things we would first do is we would stretch the ankle to the place we wanted to go. Yeah. So we would take his ankle, he would put his foot down and rotate it out, and then we would just push there and live there for a minute, right? The ankle is kind of a bad example because that joint's a little more complicated than that. Yeah. Just FYI, people, this is not the way I actually treat an ankle. I'm just trying to give an example. But we would stretch for two minutes, then we would strengthen both sides of the ankle. Yeah. And the idea is by stretching for two minutes, we're asking the brain for forgiveness, right? We're saying, hey, can we please have this? And then once we get there, we're saying, hey, brain, thank you. Now let's get stronger in that position. Mm-hmm. And so this is a really good way to combat a lot of these injuries. Yeah. Um, from a load perspective, we've taught the ankle how to handle more load. Yeah. We've, taught, we've created more end range in the ankle. So now if Kai runs into somebody again, Maybe the ankle could have gone a little further. Maybe it could have absorbed a little more force, right? Um, There's another piece to this puzzle, right? So in one hand, we have a load from a contact standpoint. Mm -hmm. The other hand, we have a load from a compensation standpoint. Um, I like to call this the idea that you have a muscle that's overworked and underpaid, right? So imagine you go to work and you're doing a bunch of work and they're not paying you enough for your job. Be pretty F freaking that. pissed, right? F like that. big reason why Kai and I both are entrepreneurs, because <laughs> uh, we're responsible for who pays us. Yeah. But the idea here is, is that I'm gonna eventually get cranky from doing that, and I'm gonna bitch, right? Yeah. So going back to my brother-in-law's shoulder, right? Prior to that injury, maybe he tried to go in his end range external rotation, but couldn't, mm-hmm. right? And so if you think about the muscles that are supposed to pull him there, um, let's actually, let's use a different example because my brother's in law's shoulders is straight up load. Um, Let's use tendonitis or sometimes often referred to as bursitis, um, which by the way, Kai and I both hate as a diagnosis. We think it's super lazy. Um, Kai, you said it, what did you say earlier? The inflamed argument. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, you go to a doctor and you go to you, a doctor and you get inflamed. You just go take some turmeric pills. Yeah, and then you take a bunch of pills and then you're not inflamed anymore. But then yeah. guess what? You go back to your normal life and you get inflamed again, right? Yeah. So but there is no cycle, no solution here, guys. Yeah. Um, so the idea with tendonitis and bursitis is that the pain point, the muscle that hurts, is going to hurt because it's doing too much work. 
So here's the problem with tendonitis, folks. If we treat the muscle that's hurting, we're neglecting the muscle that's supposed to be working. Yeah. So if we think about the front of your chest, right? We think about that, that breast tissue. We have multiple layers of the breast tissue. We have pec minor, we have pec major, we have serratus, which goes under your armpit, uh, which hurts like hell to have mm. palpated. Oh, yeah. Um, we have subclavius. We have all kinds of things that are going to contribute to internal rotation in the shoulder, my shoulder going down and forward. So what if pec major is doing all the work? So the other three muscles that we had talked about don't do anything, and it's just pec major. Mm. So pec major is going to hurt. Yeah. Right? Because it's the one screaming. Yeah. It's the underpaid employee yeah. saying, guys, I'm in pain. So we're going to go to a practitioner and they're going to palpate it. They're going to rub it, rub it, rub it. They're going to hit it with a percussion gun. Ooh. They're going to cuff it. Yeah. They're going to grasp in it. They're going to put pin tape on it, it, needles in it. Right? And they're going to do all these things. They're like, it's good. Right? Well, the reality is, is we didn't deal with the other four muscles that aren't getting involved in the party. Hold on. Are you saying you didn't get to the root? We did not get to the root solution. <laughs> it's so weird. So the way I want you to think about this is grass and percussion, all that stuff are not my preferred method of treatment. Mm -hmm. They're great for uh, therapeutic use for other people. I think they're a lazy way to create, um, to dull nerves so you don't feel pain. Mm -hmm. um, and I know a lot of people ask me this question a lot. I actually put a post on my Instagram about it because I got tired of being asked so much. <laughs> think of it this way, folks. A percussion gun, right? The hypervolt, the cool hypervolt that everybody uses to warm up. Oh, yeah. It's just deadening nerve receptors. What? I know. It's crazy. So the idea of like, if I punch Kai in the arm, he's going to have a dead arm, right? Anyone who has yeah. a brother, sister, or dick dad that's been punched in the arm knows what that feels like, right? Double D. Double D, right? Dick dead. Dick dead. <laughs> <laughs> but that dead arm... Everything just goes numb, right? You don't feel anything, right? I can flap my arm around wherever I want. Mm. Because the nerve receptors yeah. are numb, right? Because they've been damaged. A percussion gun is the same thing. It's just gently damaging that tissue. Just slowly, repeatedly nagging your nerves to just <laughs> stop. Just <laughs> nagging. It's like, a, it's like a horrible ex-wife just <laughs> nagging you to death. Um, but no, it's so the idea... That that's going to create solvency is, is really, it, it's inept. It's not going to create solvency at all. It's, in fact, I would argue it, it puts you in a worse potential harm's way because now the feedback loop that tells you to stop is gone. Yeah. So then you're going to go do dumb stuff. So I see people all the time that take a Theragun, put it all over their legs, and then go squat. Oof. That puts them in real serious danger, right? There's no feedback. So... This is like I got way off topic there. I get like that's me on my soapbox. That's rant right I step there. all the way up. Um, so the I, the what I want you to understand with tendonitis and bursitis, and what I want you to understand with the compensatory pattern stuff is that this stuff is going to be problematic from a standpoint of the primary muscle is doing all the work, why the the other things aren't helping. Yeah. So what we actually need to do is we need to create better tissue quality and the stuff that's not helping. Yeah. So as a practitioner, if you want to create solvency here, if the other muscles get stronger, then eventually the inflammation goes down by itself mm -hmm. in that primary muscle. Yeah. And then once that inflammation goes down, you're not, one, not only in pain, but two, you have a shoulder that works. Yeah. Imagine that. We would have thunk. So... The other issue that we're going to run into with that is that we're going to create a feedback loop of pain, right? Mm -hmm. If I just take medication or I just use soft tissue therapy, 
I'm going to eventually be in pain again because I didn't solve a problem, right? Yeah. So if we think about a task negative feedback loop from our brain, this is essentially what we're doing with our joint. Yeah. Big reason why I don't work in a clinic, big reason why Kai doesn't work in a clinic is we just don't agree with that. I mean, it's quite simple. Not at all. Right? So, okay, so we, just, we got off topic a little bit. Uh, we got all kinds of rants here. So reel it back. We're going to reel it back in. So the things we talked about here. We talked about load exceeding capacity. We talked about that being a contact issue or a compensatory issue. Mm-hmm. Compen- compensatory, there it is. There you go. Hooked so, on phonics. Hooked right on there. phonics. <laughs> um, so in the end, biological pain is going to fit these frameworks. Like it's going to be one of those categories. Yep. It, it has to be, right? So isometrics are the solution that we found that works best for us. Yeah. But the reality is, is like, what if you don't know how to... Do that. Like, like, what if you just don't know, like, what's wrong? So, Kai, I know we had laid out a couple of things that I think works out pretty well for us. What can our listeners do if they're in pain, if they've had shoulder, chronic shoulder pain for years on end and they want to get help, what can they do? Well, they got to go get assessed. bottom line wait so you're suggesting they need to go figure out what's wrong uh yeah i think you know no no way kai could be the root solution could be the root solution just control the basics um yeah you just go get assessed you get assessed stop trying to guess what's wrong stop trying to uh webmd that problem because webmd is not going to take you to the right path no um but yeah Kai, kai i know you've I actually use Kai's, most of Kai's assessment. Um, we use a combination of FRA, which is a functional range thing, and then we use some muscle testing as well, which Kai taught me a lot of from MAT. Kai, when you are assessing tissue, I know that I, what are the, the things you're looking for? Like, let's say we're looking at a shoulder itself. Like, what are the things you're looking for in that assessment? So I definitely look for the the range of motion sure. how far they can go right but also the quality of how they get there so that would be what like capsular stuff yeah so how the joint moves and how their their uh, limbs move along okay. the path right? sure so if it's like a little bit creaky and they get right. hesitant in certain areas then I know like maybe that position isn't as strong or stable so that was interesting some of you just said there was they are hesitant mm-hmm. so I don't think practitioners look at that enough and. Mm-hmm. Like, what is their physical stimulus to being put in that position? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, that was something Kai really turned me on to that I thought was really a, a useful tool mm-hmm. is, does that hurt? Why? And then asking them, well, what do you do on a daily basis that puts your shoulder in that position? Like, what are yeah. potential risks? Mm-hmm. And you'll, this is where I think, I, I actually teach a seminar, uh, pre-COVID at least, uh, teach yeah. a seminar on this assessment. And one of the things I like to talk to my the people I'm teaching, which a lot of times is, is like regular trainers at gyms, is asking that question becomes important. Yeah. Um, I have a patient that I've been working with years. He's had close angle pain on his hip, which means when he sits down, the front of his hip hurts. Mm-hmm. He's a professional driver. Okay, So what he does is he literally gets in a car all day long and drives around rich people. Um, not an Uber. like He's like even classier than that. Ooh. But one of the things that nobody had asked him was, um, you've been a professional driver 12 years, when did this start? And folks, I'm not joking. He was in a Range Rover forever, and the seat in a Range Rover 
had them at like a below 90 degrees, so call it like 95 to 105 degrees mm-hmm. of um, flexion. I, like I'm saying these words, trying to think of how to make them clear for you. So was his knees up higher than his So his hips? knees were below his hips below in his the Range hips. Rover. Okay. They switched cars to an Audi. Mm. The Audi has a deeper seat because now his knees are above his hips. Okay. So what did this for him was being in the Audi, reducing that angle, load exceeded his capacity, Mm -hmm. right? So what we did, get this, guys. This is crazy. We made a better hip. We did some capsular stuff. And then we just took a pad and put it under his butt to change Mm. the angle of the seat. Mm. So here's the thing. I could have made a better hip and just let him back out there. But without understanding what he does on a daily basis. Yeah, getting deeper. We got to get deeper, right? So we've got to go a little bit further. Because if we don't go further, then we just send you back out to the wild to get hurt again. Yeah. Right? Irresponsible. So, Kai, that's one thing you had taught me about it. Um, the other one is the MAT stuff. So, you look at the tissue itself, right? Yeah. So, you look at uh, muscle testing to right. see, can this, can you hold this position sure. if I push on it? Right. That's basically what it is. And if you can't, that Can you give me an example of what that looks like? Yeah. So, basically, if you took your arm, say your right arm. Right arm. Most people are right-handed. You take their arm, you keep it straight, you lift it up to shoulder level. Okay. And I try to push your arm back down. Mm-hmm. That's testing your shoulder muscles. Right. So if you're not able to hold that position, right. then we go in and we look at the muscle tissue. And we you know, stimulate the insertion points of right. the, that muscle and then retest. Right. So it's almost uh, creating a f- feedback loop. Um, you're going into this position and it's going to get uh, asked to activate or hold that position. And if you don't, then we tell the muscle, hey, you need to start working. Right. Come back here. Um, and so then we retest it and that closes that loop that says, I am safe in this position. So you have a potential capsular issue. Mm-hmm. As well as a communication issue from the nerves to the actual muscular tissue. Yes. Right. So this is where assessment becomes really important by Mm -hmm. a professional who understands these things, right? Because this can be very complicated when you start talking about, um, you know, somebody that maybe has like inner thigh pain or somebody Mm -hmm. that has pain. Uh, I really commonly see people get pain right below their glute where the hamstring Mm -hmm. attaches to the, the butt area. The butt fold. The butt fold. Um, and so that, that position itself is a lot of times where people get a lot of pain because the way they sit. Yeah. Right. So we have to look at like, what is your knee extension look like Mm -hmm. when your hip is bent versus your hip not bent. Right. Exactly. So there's a lot here and you guys can see just based on this conversation where like talking to somebody who really understands the ins and outs of the way muscles work, Mm -hmm. right. And the way they actually work. And then they, how they work in space becomes really important. Mm-hmm. So my first recommendation to you and is get assessed. Yeah. Don't guess. Yeah. Ooh. Slogan. Hot take. Uh, <laughs> it's a hashtag. I wish I was that cool and figured it out, but I didn't. <laughs> um, the other one I think is work smarter. Yeah. So yeah. I think once you've gotten assessed, that assessment is going to indicate like where your limitations lie. Right. So I'll use me as an example. I'm a power lifter. I'm... On terms of the mobility and stability scale, um, or flexibility and stability scale, I can create quite a bit of stability, oh, yeah. but only in a few places, mm. and uh, I'm not great with flexibility. 
So if I start pushing my ranges out of those spaces that I'm good at, my risk goes up, right? Yeah. So I don't have a lot of variance of movement, meaning that if I bench press, shoulder press, or really do any gym movement, I'm pretty safe. Yeah. But if you take me out of a gym setting, right? Have you break dance? <laughs> break dancing, uh, I would really struggle, yeah. right? So if, if I started maybe tomorrow taking up jiu-jitsu, mm. where I've got my legs in pretty weird positions with my hips rotating in positions they're not very strong in, um, and I just jump into it without preparing my body for it, there's a lot of risk there, oh, yeah. right? If I decided tomorrow that I want to take up marathon running, which ironically lots of people do, um, I have to ask myself, do I have the capacity to do that? Yeah. I have to have a real conversation with myself. Mm -hmm. um, do I have an aerobic capacity? Do I have a stress load capacity? Rook is at it again. <laughs> um, and do I actually have the physical joint capacity, right? Yeah. So when you take somebody who's sitting at a desk all day long and they're always having their hip bent, right? Then they get up and they want to do the opposite of that, which is create hip extension. Mm. Get a big butt. Get a bigger butt, right? The, the problem is, is running is primarily hip extension, mm -hmm. but if they've only trained flexion because they sit all day, mm. extension becomes a problem. Sure. So why do people all of a sudden have a lot of back pain associated with running? Well, they're not running with their hip extension because they don't have any. They've yeah. gotten rid of it altogether. They've now, they're using their pelvis and their spine to get into positions, which isn't a good idea. All the time. So my other question, my other response to this is, Think about working smarter. So if you're going to make major changes to your training protocols, get assessed, right? So C number one. So if I decide I want to go do jiu-jitsu tomorrow, I should probably go get assessed by a professional, mm -hmm. see what my range of motion looks like, and then build out that range of motion yeah. before I go all in to jiu-jitsu, yeah. right? Because if sense. I do that, I create the base to work off of, Yeah. right? I think that for me is probably the biggest gift I can give you yeah. as a listener is taking a very real approach to what your capacity looks like mm -hmm. and then changing it based on what you want to do. Yeah. Finding people like Kai and I are a little bit harder. Yeah. Um, we're always available via Zoom, so those of you that are far away, we can do some stuff. I think the FRC world, functionalrangeconditioning.com does a really good job of this. I know MAT, MAT stands for? Muscle activation techniques. So MAT does a good job of that as well. So if you're not local to us and, yeah. and we're not available to you, there are people out there that are yeah. very smart. Um, someone like Brad, who was here last week. Yeah. Um, very, very smart individuals out there. We're not the only ones, we swear. Um, but having those frameworks are, are important. Very important. My other thing that I would suggest to you is if you go see a new trainer, like at a, in a gym setting, whether it be a global gym, like a 24-hour fitness or a regular gym, and they don't assess you prior, this should be a huge red flag. Pretty big red flag. Would you, would you agree? Yeah. Yeah. So I think that means that there's a good chance that they don't have a clue mm -hmm. what they're working with in terms of biology. They don't mm -hmm. know what they're trying to change. They don't know who you are. They don't know what your injuries history looks like. They don't know how the injury history has created compensatory patterns or potential issues in inflammation or anything else, right? Yeah. So having somebody who knows those things becomes really important. 
So I think that would be another big red flag for those of you that are looking to get back into shape. Um, and then start slow. Yeah. Right? Yes. Less, Take, is, less is more. Less is more, right? Like, as we learned last week, um, when we did isometrics and almost did nothing, um, yet got our butts kicked yeah. by the isofit. So... Um, it doesn't have, you don't have to go deadlift 500 pounds. You don't have to run five miles. You don't have to do any of these dumb things. Like you're more than welcome to take your time, get on a program that makes sense. Use isometrics, use eccentrics, use, use the tools that are out there to you to figure things out. Another thing I would tell you guys, and a great way to figure out if who you're working with is intelligent, ask them the three muscle contractions. Whoa. Just ask them quite simply, can you name all three muscle contractions? It's, it's a great litmus test for how well they understand the machine. Mm -hmm. The answer is eccentric, isometric, and concentric. Oh, I was going to say hard, harder, and harder. <laughs> That's kind of Saturday <laughs> night. Um, <clears throat> so those are, those are our tidbits for you guys. Hopefully those are helpful. We're really trying to make complicated ideas simple, which is not always easy. Yeah. Uh, so there's a good chance next week that we have to review some of this possibly, uh, and take our time to kind of digest some. So if you find you're confused by any of the things we said, please, 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 please reach out to us. Yes. Um, the whole goal of the podcast is we've now started to do it here for a few weeks. We've kind of realized where we are and what we want to be. We want to be the podcast that makes hard stuff to digest easier to digest. Yeah. Um, some of the people that we... The Metamucil of the world. The Metamucil of the world. <laughs> wow. Oh, that was bad, Kai. Um, <laughs> we listen to some really intelligent people talk, and even we have a hard time. I'm, I'm reading a book right now by William Reich, who's a neurological biologist from the 40s. Mm. Um, that's an incredibly difficult read. Incredibly sure. difficult. Sure. Um, my goal is to help make that information simpler for you to understand so that you can take some of these tidbits to understand yourself. So um, muscle physiology is not easy, especially if you don't have a background in it. So we'll do our best to continue to make it simple. But um, yeah, I think that's kind of all I got for you. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, get assessed, don't guess, and work with what you got, I think is the tagline. Cool. So. Well, guys, have a wonderful rest of your week. Um, you can always reach me at root.solution on Instagram. Kai? Uh, at control underscore the underscore basic. I hate saying that all the time. <laughs> the, <you know. laughs> the least, the most complicated. The yeah. underscores. Underscore, underscore, underscore. Um, it was great. As always, Kai, I look forward to talking to you next week. Yeah. And uh, look forward to seeing you guys all out there in the real world. Take care. All right. See you guys.